Well, hello, everybody. Uh, wow, I almost felt like Mr. Rogers there. Like I should have taken, <laughs> hello, neighbor. It's a beautiful day. To, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. There we go. <laughs> wow. When you forget Mr. Rogers, that's when you know you're really getting old. <laughs> uh, hey, it is good to be with you today. And as you know, we're a video campus, which means 95% of the time we have our message on screen. And uh, I don't know about you, but I am blessed and ministered to by the word of God uh, week in and week out. But a few times a year, we do have what we call live campus pastor weekend. And we have our campus pastors at all four of our campuses speaking live uh, this weekend. I just want you to know, I consider it a privilege and an honor uh, to be with you here today. So uh, I just believe God has a word for us and uh, not only for me and for my wife and our marriage and our lives, but for every one of us here and uh, uh, just to ask you to open up your heart to what he has for you. But uh, hey, we are in the last message of our marriage series and it's called uh, The Rest of the Story. And when I say the rest of the story, I just want to take a quick survey here to very secretly expose, you know, whether what side of the sort of genealogical, chronological spectrum you're on. When I say the rest of the story, what do you think of? Oh, yes. There's several of us old folks in here. Yes. Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Now, some of the like, you know, hip, cool teenagers are like, Paul who? You know, we're like, Paul Harvey, uh, good day. You know, rest of the story. Um, That's what I think about too. And uh, the thing is, Paul Harvey built an empire pretty much, built his his fortune, built uh, his legacy on a very simple concept. And that was taking uh, stories that roughly lasted maybe four minutes or so on the radio and talking about um, a very dark and dreary situation most of the time, a very impossible set of adversities and circumstances or whatever. And all of a sudden he would, he would give us about, you know, three or three and a half minutes of that. And then in the last 45 seconds or so, he'd be like, and then this happened. And then, you know, and then it became the person that we know as Abraham Lincoln. And it's like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Whoa, slow down, professor. You know, what just happened? How did that happen? That was impossible. But he became a master storyteller at impossible situations becoming possible at 11th hour uh, changes in the direction of people's lives. And, uh, and in some way, I believe that he was conveying a truth that if we know Jesus, if we know the power of God, then even more so than Paul Harvey, we should be confident and we should be very aware of the fact that we serve a God who's able to do exactly that. We serve a God who no matter how dark and dreary my condition is, my situation, how hopeless my marriage or my job life or any other area of my life might be, we serve a God who's able to come in and turn things around. Do you agree with that today? And that's why we're calling it the rest of the story because perhaps you've heard our lead pastor, John Leach, say this, and I know it's something that he says many times. It's something we believe very strongly as a church, and I hope you've incorporated it into your life, and that's this. We don't serve a God of if only, but a God of but now. We don't serve the God of if only. It's easy to look back, oh man, if only I'd, oh, in my first marriage or in my first, you know, when I was younger or whatever, if I'd only done this and this, oh man, then my life would be blessed. But now, you know, no, we serve the God of but now. But now, wherever I am today, right? This is the day. The Bible says if you hear God's word today, don't hard. It doesn't say think back about yesterday or two years ago or 10 years ago, wish and think and sort of mope about what we should have done. No, it says when we hear God's word today, let's open our hearts and let's obey it. 
and let's let it come in fully to our lives. And so I want to encourage you as we uh, wrap up this series on marriage. I know some of us here are probably single and have not gotten married yet. There's something in God's word for you today. Some of us perhaps had a bad experience in a marriage or two marriages and, and uh, they, they died and were perhaps waiting for what God's going to do or maybe you're in a new marriage. Don't think back about what was. That's, this is not a word today about what we should have done. It's a word about what God is able to do in the rest of your story and the rest of my story. Do you want to get into that today? All right. Well, hey, uh, our story began, uh, goodness, 23 years ago or so. Um, I was leading worship one Sunday morning in our church uh, that my parents pastored in Barcelona, Spain. And I I had my eyes closed, you know, playing a little acoustic Spanish guitar just uh, to look very spiritual. It always looks more spiritual if the worship leader has his eyes closed, you know, like this. But then I kind of squinted open a little bit, you know, without people knowing. And over here, about the third row back on the left-hand side, I saw the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm like, oh man, I forgot the words to the song. It was like, you know, the skies opened up and it was kind of like the Apostle Paul's conversion where it's like, did you hear it? You know, and, you know did you hear the, 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 the light and the thunder? And nobody else heard it, but I heard it. And it was uh, this beautiful woman named Cammy. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness. And the truth is that my family knew her family. She had come over to Spain for a couple months to uh, learn what missions life was all about. And uh, I saw her that morning and I thought, I know what my mission is going to be in the next week or so. <laughs> I just heard from God. And uh, my mom had actually told me, said, hey, you know, you should probably, I mean, she's here. She's our guest. You should probably show her around the city. Barcelona has many, you know, sculptures and cathedrals and a seaport and beautiful things to, to look at and so forth. She said, well, you should probably do that. If you don't want to do it, one of the young men in the church will probably be happy to do it. And I'm like, no, mom, no, mom, I got this one. I got this one. I know I delegate many things out, but this one I'll just do myself. So, uh, so we spent a lot of time together and hung out. And after about five days, I was like, you know what? I really want to take this to the next level. And so I said, I think I'd like her to be my girlfriend. So I asked her to be my girlfriend. But, you know, back then it was kind of more cheesy. It was like, do you want to be my special friend? You know, amigos especiales, you know? And so and she's like, okay, I'll be your special friend. So, you know, Friday night, we become, you know, special friends. And it was like, sweet. And so the next day our church had an outing and I got to hold her hand. And it was on the outskirts of Barcelona and a historic place and all that. And uh, after a day of that, I was like, wow, I really like this girl. And, you know, you've heard of people that are scared, ladies, you know, uh, to commit. You know what I'm saying? Like, scared to take it to the next level. Yeah, that wasn't my problem. I was like, we've known each other for five days. We've been boyfriend, girlfriend for like a day. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And I did. So on Saturday night, after meeting her Sunday morning, I asked her to marry me. I didn't have a ring yet. She said yes, which is really the miracle. I mean, if you... Yeah, if you look at us, that's the miracle. It's not, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't ask her to marry him? But it's that she said yes to me. So, uh, and then we came back, I came back to the States after a couple months there, met her family. I went off to college. After my freshman year, we ended up getting married. I've got a couple pictures here just for you, people who like to ooh, ah, uh, you know. So that's Cami there on our wedding day in her beautiful mermaid dress. And that's us lighting our unity candle and then getting ready to leave the reception, go to the honeymoon. You see my tongue kind of sticking out like, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. So that was then, and, and it was a great beginning. Uh, but, uh, you know, we heard of people that uh, actually dated first and then got married. And we were like, that could have been a cool thing too, but, you know. <laughs> We didn't get that memo, so we got married and then began to date. And as you can imagine, we began to uh, 
inevitably learn things about each other that we hadn't learned, surprisingly, in those uh, few weeks that we actually spent time together, uh, the year of our engagement. Um, so one of the things I remember was uh, we were in Estes Park actually driving cross country from where we got married in, in uh, the southeast part of the country to uh, Oregon, to the north, I mean, we, northwest. We were completely cross country. So we actually had to stop in Estes Park, Colorado, on one of those days and uh, went into the Walgreens there. I needed a, a fingernail clipper. So I went into Walgreens, left her in the car and uh, came out. I was happy as could be. And she's like, oh, good. You got it? I said, yeah. She says, how much was it? How much was what? How much was the fingernail clipper? Oh, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I don't know. Well, didn't you look at the price tag? Well, no. Well, how could you not look at the price tag if you're going to buy it? I'm like, I don't know. We're on our honeymoon. We have like, you know, thousands of dollars on our credit limit. And I need a fingernail clipper. I mean, I can guess three bucks or six bucks or nine bucks. I don't know, but I don't care. I need it and I have it and I want it. And let's, let's drive. And see, all of a sudden we have this conversation it's not allowed to have arguments on your honeymoon, but you're allowed to have conversations. So we had a, the first of many conversations that exposed a lot of differences. Hey, my family was raised on the mission field. For us, eating out on Sundays was like the 11th commandment. You shall go out to eat on Sunday. Her family liked to go home and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and save money. You know, we like to spend money doing fun things. They like to save money and buy nice things. You know, we, I didn't know what wax was. Her dad waxes her car like every other day. You know, I mean, all these differences... Seriously, they're, they're amazing stewards. It's, it's, it, but so we began to realize, you know, how different we were in so many areas. And so as, as the months turned into years, uh, uh, we, you know, began to experience the highs and lows of, of marriage. And, and I kind of put, uh, you know, in my notes, I was like, hey, uh, our story and the reason we shouldn't have lasted 22 days, let alone 22 years, uh, because it'll be 22 years this September. And, and it's just that, again, um, uh, we were set up, as I think so many people are, for, for heartache in some ways, obviously for joys. We had many, many uh, good times together, but it could have gone either way so many times. It could have, so many times we found ourselves at the end of our rope, at the end of our strength, at the end of our hope, going, God, you better have something up your sleeve because I'm done. You know, I'm done. I, I can't handle this. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't love. I'm empty. I don't know how to, you know, say the right thing, do the right thing, love the right way. And, and, and both of us separately, I'm sure many times, experience of those times. And uh, God, in his goodness and grace, uh, not only kept us together, but allowed us to, to grow into something. We're certainly a work in progress. Uh, you know, perhaps you've you know, seen us animatedly talking to each other. But the Connect Grow Serve table isn't set up. Is there enough communion in the communion? You know, <laughs> you know we have our, our moments, as everyone does. Uh, but, but we truly are becoming friends. We truly are blessed, aren't we? We truly we sit and have coffee together every morning with a little $3 froth maker from Ikea that's like a little electric toothbrush. It and it like foams up all the little, you know, half and half. We go through it by the half gallon. Anyway, uh, it's amazing. We sit there and have coffee and feed it to our dog who thinks she's a human. Um, we talk to our kids before they go to school. We take drives in our dune buggy because uh, she won't let me have a motorcycle like real men have. Uh, there's no bitterness though. There's no bitterness. We've totally gotten over that one. But I have a dune buggy, so it's uh, next best thing. Um, but we love that. We love our dogs. We love our kids. We love doing ministry together and doing what we do here and getting to know you guys and, and just being, you know, involved in people's lives. And, and it's just awesome what God has done. And I think if we look forward, we're like, hey, you know what? We're excited about the rest of our story because we know that even though there's been rough times, even though there's been bitterness and anger and, you know, all the th stuff, um, God is able to do what we can't do.
And so I want to encourage you today, think about the rest of your story. Don't look back again and go, what did I do wrong? How come? Oh man, I shouldn't have. And this is not a message about look at what you did wrong, shame on you. It's the opposite. It's look at how good God is and look at how good the rest of your story can be starting right where you are today. All right? Can we talk about that today? So, hey, I want to talk about three forces that are at work in all of our lives, whether we know it or not. If you're in the scope of God's love and his dominion, particularly if you're a son or daughter of the king, if you're one of his children by faith, these three forces are already at work in your life. But I believe that God wants us to identify them, to come to know them, to understand them a little bit better, and to be able to cooperate with them so that we see God take us to the next place so that the rest of our story can be reaching the promises of God for your life. Do you want to do that? Yeah. All right. So the first force, well, actually, they're all three found in a very familiar passage of scripture and one that is used very often in weddings. And it's called the love chapter. Uh, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so I'm going to go ahead and read that. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It may not be up on the screen behind me, but if you have a, a uh, a f- Bible phone or, or a regular Bible. You can follow along. I'm reading from the NIV, but it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I'm going to read that last verse again because it's the one I'd like to highlight today. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know what? I believe that those three simple words and three simple concepts, faith, hope, and love, are actually three forces at work in our lives. And as we understand them, it's going to help us cooperate with God. So let's look at the first one, faith. And I think, to be honest with you, now some of you are visual people. And like, you know, I always have like a whiteboard with me, like in my pocket, like a little... If you ever talk to me and don't even ask my staff because they're like, no, no, here comes the whiteboard, you know, because it's like out come the dry erase. No, here's what it is like. You know, I'm like drawing lines, everything, everything, because I think the world is like a, a, a giant whiteboard. But, but the fact of it is, as I begin to think about it, I said, Lord, how, how do these things work together? Faith, hope, and love. What's the relationship between them? How can I understand them and apply them to my life? I felt like the Lord kind of said, hey, it's kind of like an artichoke. 
An artichoke has probably multiple parts, but it, you know, to a lay person, it kind of has three parts. It has kind of the, the outer part, which is the shell or the, the skin of it. And that's not very tender. That's kind of tough. And it protects the rest of the artichoke from the elements and from the heat and so forth. And it can keep it tender on the inside. Then it's got kind of the, the leaves that have some of each, you know, so it's got like the little tips of it are pretty tender. You can kind of dip them in sauce and eat them. And then... In the middle, what is that called? Ooh, the heart of the artichoke. And that's the most tender part. That's the most succulent part. That's the part, man, put it on your pizza or put, you know, eat it in your salad, whatever. That's the good stuff right there. But I believe that in some way, faith, hope, and love is like an artichoke. And we're starting from the outside of the artichoke. And here's why I believe that, okay? I know you're looking at me like, and rightly so, Kathy, he's lost his mind. But no, (laughs) indulge me for a few more minutes. See if I can win you over. Here's what I believe. The outer part is what we see first, right? The outer part of of the artichoke, the outer part of anything, it's kind of what we see, what's most visible. And I believe that faith is the most visible part of these three forces, faith, hope, and love. Here's why. Um, Look at the story. Remember the story of Joshua in the Battle of Jericho? If you went to Sunday school or had a little cartoon Bible when you grew up or whatever, uh, Joshua's at the Battle of Jericho. and, And what did God tell him to do? When they had come out of Egypt and through the desert for 40 years, and finally God was getting ready, to lead them into the promised land and fulfill his promise of goodness in a land that flows with milk and honey. He said this to Joshua, you are going to take the people and it's probably two or three million people, who knows, and you're going to silently march around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And then we're going to blow the ram's horn and then the people are going to shout with a mighty shout and what happened? Boom, the walls came down and they rushed in and conquered that city. But here's why I believe they did what they did is because they had a word from God and they were acting in faith. Would you agree with that? They felt like, hey, God spoke to Joshua, gave him a plan, told him what to do, and now we're going we're gonna to put our faith and link it with that and obey and do what we can do so that God can do what only he can do, Right? That's what faith is like. The force of faith in our life is something visible. It's specific more often than not. It involves, it's not just like, well, we're out here outside of this city and you know what? Who knows? Maybe one of these days we'll win the battle. I mean, that's not faith. It's like, no, boom, do this, march around six times, not eight, not three, six, and then seven specifically, and then boom, I will do this. The word of God is filled with specific instructions to us that God's saying, hey, I want you to know not just that maybe one day possibly something might happen. I want you to know there's times in your life when I say, I'm going to do this in your life. I want to give you a healthy marriage. I want to provide for your needs. I want to help you grow closer to me. I want to do this, this, or this. And I'm ready to show you a plan. I'm ready not just to kind of keep it ambiguous, but to show you the specifics of how you and I together are going to get there. Aren't you thankful that God has a plan to get us where he wants us to go? And that's what faith is about. It it involves time and space, specifics, the power of God breaking into the realm that we live in. Another example of that is Mark chapter six. And it's actually a story found in all three gospels uh, or the three synoptic gospels, but it's where there was a paralyzed guy and his friends saw him suffering day after day. And they heard about this rabbi, this teacher that was in a city not too far away called Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they took him there and carted him all the way there. And then when they got there, what happened? The house was packed full of people listening to this amazing prophet of God who had miraculous power to heal. So there was no way they could even get near him, much less carrying a guy on a bed. 
So what did they do? They didn't give up. They climbed up the side of the house. I don't know if they asked the wife for permission. Maybe she was wanting a skylight installed anyway, you know, or something like that. Anyway, they start dismantling the roof, going through the layers of mud and the layers of straw and the layers of sticks and however they built their roof. They make this huge hole in the middle of the roof and they lower the guy right in front of Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Now see if you catch something about what we're talking about, that faith is specific and it's outward and it's visible. Jesus, it says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he turned to the man and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed him and sent him away walking and carrying his mat that day. Did you catch what it says though? When Jesus what? So if I had asked you a minute ago, is faith something that's very easy to see? Or is it something that's kind of inward on the inside, something that happens in your heart? What would you have said? I would have said something inward. I would have said something that, you know, faith is something God does in my heart and it's growing, and, but it's very personal. Maybe sometimes I feel like it's private, you know, whatever. But here we're seeing, no, it's actually something that's seen because it says when Jesus saw their faith. Why? Through what they did, right? Faith implies action, right? James tells us faith without works is dead. In other words, when we get a promise of God, it says, hey, I'm going to do this in your life, but it starts by here. Hey, DJ, I'm going to have you looking like Mr. Olympia in six months. But it starts by waking up at three in the morning and going to the gym. You know what I'm saying? There's always like a little part, a little something. It's not going to happen, by the way. In case you're, in case you're like, did he really hear from God? No, I didn't. And if he said that, I wasn't listening. Anyway, um, I know where I am at three in the morning. Pillow side assembly. Um, but here's the deal. Faith involves action. It involves obedience. It, it stirs up inside of us to do something to cooperate with God to reach his promise, right? And so that's the powerful force in our life of faith. And it's the first thing. Perhaps you've been around people that, that, that are walking in faith. And, you know, maybe it's in the area of their job. And they're, man, I'm going to work half hour early. And I'm going through all my emails so that I can, you know, all of a sudden get, you see the favor of God. And all of a sudden, before you know it, six months later, you're, they're promoted. And you're going, oh, yeah, but you know what? I saw faith before. Does that make sense? They were, they were cooperating with God. They were doing something to cooperate with God's plan to bless them. Maybe you see faith in people's marriages or relationships. You're like, oh man, they take time for each other. They turn the TV off and take the dogs for a walk or, you know, whatever it might be. They're doing things in faith to see the promises of God become a reality in their life. But here's the deal. You might find ourselves going, oh, man, I don't, I don't even know what the plan is, let alone be able to cooperate with God, I, I don't know that I have faith for my situation. I don't know that I have a plan. I don't know that I have strength or any kind of discipline or any kind of, you know, desire even to work towards something and see God do something. How do I even get that? Well, I want to encourage you. There's another force at work in our lives as we move through faith and move towards the center of that artichoke. And the second force that we see is hope. Here's how I know this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it's called the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, in it, we find the definition, according to God, of what faith really is. And it simply says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Say what we hope for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So in defining the force that is faith, it uses the word hope. And that leads me to believe that it's impossible really to have faith if I don't have something that I'm hoping for. Does that make sense? Because if faith is the assurance of things 
hoped for and I'm not hoping for anything, most likely there's not going to be any faith in my life to actually be cooperating with God and going somewhere, right? Everybody, I know this is a little bit maybe technical, but I believe it's, it's something that God wants us to understand. So here's, here's what I would say. What do you say? Okay, how, what, is, what are you talking about with hope? I believe that hope is intertwined intrinsically with dreaming. You know, you talk to somebody, hey, what are your hopes and dreams, right? Don't you always, you know, we find those words oftentimes said together. And I believe that, that it really does come together even in Scripture and in God's hearts. Here's how I know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read about some of God's dreams for us, some of God's hopes for us. And it says this. Um, I can find it. It says this, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Another version says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man or even our imagination, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. Do you believe that God is preparing good things for you? Do you, that, do you believe that God is actually thinking about you and about good things that he wants to see actually come to life in your life and in your marriage, in your job, in your walk with him, in any area of life? Psalm 139 says, How great are your thoughts concerning me, O God. It even says how great is the number of them. How much, how much time you spend thinking about me, God. The psalmist was overwhelmed at the fact that God used his time to sit around dreaming and hoping about the good things that he wanted to bless David with. Do you know that God loves you just as much? Ooh, got really quiet in here. Because we don't always know that, do we? We don't always live in the reality of the fact that God loves us and is excited about pouring his love, his future, his plans and his purposes into our lives. And he spends more time thinking about you than you spend thinking about you because he's God. So here's the deal. I believe that what God wants us to do when it comes to hopes and dreams, he spends time thinking about you. He spends time hoping and dreaming for you, but he wants us to come into that process with him. He's inviting you today, if you don't hear anything else in this message, hear this, that God is inviting you on a shopping spree for hopes and dreams. Any ladies in the house like to go shopping? Oh, come on, ladies. You can do better than that. Come on. Somebody shout, shout hallelujah. There we go. All right. I'm telling you what, it's funny. Any guys like to go shopping? Hey, Cabela's, REI, Dick Sporting Goods, Pet Boys, you know, uh, Discount Tire. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. You can tell whose tire rims need cleaning. Anyway, here's the deal. We all enjoy in some form or other, maybe eBay, you know, Craigslist, garage sale, whatever. We all enjoy looking for things that, that we want, that we appreciate, that we think would add value to our home or to our lives or whatever, right? A nice outfit, whatever it might be. But here's the deal. God is saying, I want you to come with me and let's go shopping together for hopes and dreams. And before you write me off, let me tell you what, here's how it happens. God says in the course of your life, you may come in contact with other people that you see something really cool, that you say, wow, I'd love that to be the case in my life. Man, see that? I'd like that to be the case in my marriage. 
wow, I'd like to have that. And see, there's two ways that we look at other people. One way is when we see somebody that's blessed and has something of God that's good, and we go, that's not fair. How come they're enjoying life? I want them to be as miserable as me. That's not fair, God. Take it away from them. God, let them experience your trials and your suffering. You know what I'm saying? We start praying for other people, but not the right way. That's not the kind of looking at other people's lives that God wants. But God does want us to look at other people's lives and be encouraged and be inspired by the goodness of God. He wants us to look at other people. And I don't know about you, but there's people in my life that I'm like, oh my goodness, they have such a work ethic. You know what I'm saying? They, they literally are just, man, they're punctual. and they're. I want to be more like that. God's like, put it in your grocery cart. Start asking me for it. Start hoping for it. Oh God, look at that couple. Man, early on in our marriage, there was a couple in Springfield, Oregon. We went to this little home group and it was uh, uh, young Marys primarily, maybe some singles there too, but, uh, and it, they had it on Sunday evenings and they had the volleyball net up and they had food and the guy and the gal, her name was Kirk and Diane. And they're actually pastors of a church now there. Uh, but they would just, you know, hang out together and host everybody and laugh and just make it fun for everybody. But you could tell they had something real also. And it was like, oh man, you know, and we're like, are you still not over that thing about the fingernail clippers? You know what I'm saying? We're still in that stage of our life. <laughs> Three years later, like, we want that. That is what I want. And God's like, put it in your grocery cart. We're going shopping. Ask me for it. Hope for it. Begin to desire it, right? Because hope is an expectation or a desire or something we're looking to. And God is saying, guess what? Don't even think about having faith if you don't let me start putting hope in you for things that I want to do in your life. So kick the devil and his guilt trip out the door of saying, you're not worthy of it. Don't hope for anything. This is as good as it gets because who are you to ask God for more? No, God is saying, man, I want to bless you. I want to pour my love into your life and your marriage and every area of your life. And I want you to start hoping for things, things that you see in other people, things that you see in my word. God, do that in us. God, wouldn't that be cool? God, I want, man, I want our relationship to be like that. God, I want us to have fun like that. God, I want us to forgive each other like that. You know what? God wants to not only put hope in you for that, he has the power to fulfill that. He's not in the game of having you hope, 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 and then bam, disappointment over and over. I mean, it happens sometimes, but in the end, God wins. In the end, he has the ability to fulfill the things that he puts in our hearts. So that's hope. It's a powerful thing. I've uh, been accused a time or two of quoting movies in my messages. <laughs> Primarily Nacho Libre. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to spare you. I do encourage you to watch that movie. Every good Christian should. But, um, but this movie quote is from The Prince of Egypt. If you remember, it's an animated movie. It's, it's seriously, it's animated, but it's one of the most powerful movies I've ever watched about the story of Moses and how God called him and anointed him and sent him to speak to Pharaoh and showed his signs and wonders, brought his people out, brought him. I mean, it's, it's a powerful, powerful retelling of the story. And the music score alone is worth watching the movie. And there's a song in that movie that uh, is the very beginning song when they were enslaved and they were working on the pyramids and being whipped and so forth. And, uh, it's, you know, it starts many nights we've prayed with no proof anyone could hear. Um, and so forth, and, and talking about their situation, you know, uh, a song that we barely understood, and so forth. And then the chorus of it um, says this, there can be miracles if you believe. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you will achieve when you believe somehow you will. And uh, I just keep thinking about though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. There's something about the seed of hope in the human heart 
that kind of spreads, you know, kind of like, unfortunately, sometimes dandelions or other things that, you know, I read one little email article one time about how we spend all this time killing plants that just naturally grow and don't need any fertilizer and any special attention. And then we spend all of our time and money trying to make grow this green grass that seems to die, you know, at the first like 90 degree day, you know? I'm here to encourage you. Hope is more like the dandelions. It grows. It spreads seeds inside of our heart because it comes from God. God is the giver of hope. And though it's frail, it's hard to kill. And sometimes I think we have the tendency to do this. We want to shut our hearts off from hope. Because along with hope comes the necessity of hurt, doesn't it? Because when we hope for something, chances are we're going to be hurt. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I, I know that this is the case. It's been the case in my life. It's been the case in our relationship. It's been the case, I'm sure, in yours that when we hope, when we make ourselves vulnerable to hope and say, God, I believe you're going to do something good. God, I believe that I'm going to change. I believe they're going to change. I believe, you know, this situation is going to change. Whatever it might be, finances, whatever. I believe, God. And then maybe we don't see it happen exactly the way we thought or it takes longer than we thought. And we experience that pain because we opened our hearts to hope. And the temptation becomes, let's just kill it. Let's just kill hope. Let's just slam the book shut. No, I'm not hoping for that. I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't care if it happens. I don't even want it to happen. And we want to kill it. And oftentimes the enemy wins that battle in our lives when he gets us to kill hope for things that he wants, not just hope for anything, but the things that he wants to bring into our life, into our marriage, into our relationships. And I want to encourage you, don't let him do that. The hope is frail. It's hard to kill. All we have to do is say, God, okay, I don't even know, you know, I don't have energy. I don't have really a whole lot of strength, but, but here I am. And we barely open up our heart and guess what? Those seeds of hope begin to sprout. That spark begins to ignite in our heart. It's by the hand of God. I've, I've talked to people in my office that have come in, marriages have come in, said, man, you know, there's anger, there's sadness, there's disappointment, there's hopelessness. And I don't know what has happened in an hour, hour and a half. And they walk out and there's hope. There's something there that wasn't there before. It's a crazy deal. I don't know. I can't explain it. But it's part of why I do what I do because I get to see the hand of God go. And there's hope where there wasn't hope. And hope is not knowing how it's going to happen. Hope is not having the full plan put together. Oh, we're going to go to three months of counseling. And then we're going to do this. And then we're going to, you know, get out of debt completely in three days or three hours. And then we're going to, and it's all going to work out perfectly. I've got this big plan. No. Hope is even before the how is revealed. It's just something on the inside that God puts in there that says, I don't know how, but I just believe that God is going to do something good. That's hope. I call it a, a suspicion, a feeling, or an expectation that God is biased in your favor. Hope is a suspicion. I can't even, you know, prove it from scripture. I can't even whatever, but it's a suspicion or a feeling. Ah, man, God loves me. God wants to do this good thing in me. I'm telling you what, that's hope. And it's a powerful thing. And it's an unstoppable force in your life. Begin to hope together as a couple. If you're married, begin to talk to each other about what you'd like to see your marriage be like. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's happening right now. It's okay. 
but begin to talk about, man, this kind of friendship. These are the kinds of conversations. This is the kind of financial situation that I'd like to be in, or this is what we'd like to see God do in our kids' lives, or this is, you know, types of places I'd like to travel to, or whatever. Begin to talk about, how, here's how we'd like to impact people with the love of Jesus, whatever it might be. Begin to share that. Let that seed of hope grow in your life. But maybe you're here, sitting here today going, wow, I don't even, I don't even know how I would begin to hope. I've been hurt too many times. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how many times I've opened my heart only to be crushed and stomped on every single time. I don't even know if I have any hope left in me. And I want to encourage you. There's a third force. In fact, the Bible says it's the greatest one. (laughs) God saves the best till last. Yes, faith is powerful and we see the impossible become possible through faith and through our agreement and action with God. We see hope being the next level in of the things that we desire by the Spirit of God, things that we begin to see and believe for and and conversations with God about where we're headed. But I'm telling you what, even if you have neither one of those two things, be encouraged because this one's for you. And that is the third force, love. 1 John chapter 4 says this, God is love. How many times does God say he is something. Most of the time we find, you know, God is, and then an adjective. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is loved. God is kind. God is, you know, faithful, whatever. But when God says, I am something, does that make sense? There's there's something that he's trying to say, this is the essence of my character. This is, you can count on this. Whenever you're around me, it's not going to be one day I'm this way, the next day I'm not. This is who I am, right? It's kind of like saying, if you're around DJ, you're going to hear a story and he may pull out his whiteboard. Why? Because that's who I am. All right? I can't change. Any staff members in here? Thank you, Daniel. Yes. Okay. It's, it's, that's part of my character. It's who I am. I, I can't change that part of myself. God is even more so. He's unchanging in the essence, which is love. And love expresses itself in many ways. Many, many ways. But one of them that I believe is important to understand is that love encourages people around it and builds them up. This week was the first anniversary of my dad's passing uh, on Thursday. My dad passed away at 82 years old. My mom and my sister are here uh, right now with us this morning. And uh, uh, he was, and I'm not, I, I'm not being biased. I'm not, I mean, well, I am biased because I think he's great. But, uh, but I believe my dad, from so many other people I've heard, that he was one of the most loving people that they had ever come in contact with. And why? Because one of the things he did was build up people around him. He was never pushing people down, trying to build himself up and say, look how great I am. It was always you were around it and you walked away encouraged. You walked away feeling like you could do anything. You could be a recording artist. You could be the greatest preacher. You could be, you know, have a great man. Whatever it was, because he made you feel that way. That's what love is like. In fact, there's a couple of politicians in 18th century England that uh, illustrate that as well. One of them was Benjamin Disraeli. One of them was William Gladstone. They both became prime ministers of England multiple times, not just once. So they were both world-changing kind of people, very powerful, very influential. But it was said of them this, you could spend five minutes in a room with William Gladstone and you would be convinced that you had just spoken with the smartest person in the room, which is pretty cool, right? I mean, that's really pretty impressive. But then it was said of Benjamin Disraeli, you could spend five minutes in a room with him And you'd walk away convinced that you were the smartest person in the room. Both of them had genius. Both of them had influence. Both of them had great power 
and authority, but one of them made people around him feel like they were invincible and like they were great and great things were in store for them. That's what love is. And I want to encourage you today, if you're not even knowing where to begin to have faith or have a plan, or if even come in a layer and you don't even want to hope and you're broken and hurting going, I'm not sure if I can even hear this word, then this is the part that's for you. God is saying, come in to the very heart of who I am. Because that's the part where I love you. And where even before you have hope for anything, before you even know what you need or want, before you have any kind of a plan, before you're cooperating with my purposes, I want to just embrace you to myself. Take you in. And if you're hanging around God any amount of time, it's inevitable. You're going to feel lifted up. The psalm says, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. God has an uncanny way to do that. If you hang out with him, you will feel that you can do anything. There's a couple people in my life that I've told them this. I said, I love getting together with you because when I get together with you, I just walk away going, we're going to start a whole new discipleship program at Castle Rock. We're going to do, I'm just like, I grab my journal, we're going to do this. And then it's like, it calms down. It's like, you know, I have to wait till the next time I get together with them to continue because it just made me feel invincible. That's what God's love is like. And God is inviting you today, no matter where you are in your marriage, no matter where you are as a single person, no matter where you are, you know, as a widow, widower, to say, hey, come into the heart of my love. Come in and let me pour my love into you. Romans 5 verse 5 says this. Hope, what we've been talking about, does not disappoint because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. So you see, love is the very center of the atom. It's the very nucleus. It's the very force that, that infuses hope and then faith into action to see us receive God's promises in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that God loves you. If you've never heard the message of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago because he wanted to take your sin and your punishment and mine on himself and pay the penalty before God so that we could have what he deserved, which is righteousness, which is peace, which is the Father's love, which is his embrace. So that's the way he looks at you. He looks at you through the eyes of what his son Jesus has done. If you've never done it before, all it takes to receive that is say, God, I need that. God, God, I give myself to you. God, I put my faith in you. God, I want your gift of salvation. I encourage you, you can do that during the response time that we're gonna have in just a couple of minutes and just give yourself to God. Say, Jesus, here I am, take me, make me yours. I believe you died for me and rose again. Fill me with your love. I'm telling you what, God is just like waiting. Even if you've already done that, then God is saying, come on, just come, just draw in to me. Just open your heart to me and let me pour my love into you. Let me see, let me help you look at yourself the way I look at you. And then we'll begin to hope and dream together. And then I'm going to give you plans and specifics that are going to show you how we're going to get to my promises for your life. Do you want that today? Why don't we stand to our feet together? As the worship team comes forward, we're going to have a time of just responding to God, singing praise to him. But here's the deal. The main part of this is just for you to engage God in whatever way 
you feel led to do so. We've got a couple of uh, stations at the front with communion. I encourage you to uh, step out of your seat at any time. If you've put your faith in Jesus and, and he's your savior, uh, whether or not you come to this church normally, you can step out and partake of that. The, the two stations up here are wine with bread and we'll give you the bread. You can dip it in the wine and partake it. If you prefer grape juice, we have that at our crosses and you're welcome to step out and just make that just a place of, of letting God's love be poured in. If you've already feel like, man, I'm overflowing with the love of God, then maybe you begin to say, okay, God, what do you want me to start hoping for? and dreaming for, and you have that conversation. If you've already hoping and dreaming, but you don't have those specifics yet, where faith is engaged, then maybe say, God, I hope for a lot of things. Which one do you want to work on first? And God's going to say, hey, this one. Let's work on this one together. And here's the first step. Hey, cook him that meal that he really likes. Hey, shut the TV off and go for a walk together. Hey, you know, go read this book together. Hey, join a Bible study. Hey, whatever it is, God's going to give you a first step where you can engage your faith and go, okay, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm doing it. The rest is up to you, but I'm doing my part. I'm trusting you're going to do yours. We've got people to pray with you in the back. If you perhaps are stuck in a difficult situation, whatever it might be, man, I encourage you to step out. There's no shame in that. There's power in agreeing together in prayer because God loves you. God loves you. You need to know that. You need to believe that is his word over you. I should have had a warning on this entrance. Be careful. You know, entering, there should be like, I don't know, the radioactive thing has like its own special logo, like be careful. There should be one for the love of God, like beware. You are entering the zone of the love of God. You're putting yourself under the influence of his word that is spirit and it is life. So before we respond together, would you pray with me today? God, I thank you, Lord, for your great love. I thank you, God, for hope that comes straight from you, that is indestructible, and that it even increases and grows as we shop together with you for those great things that you want in our lives. And God, I thank you for faith that allows us to come into agreement and into step and into unison with what you're wanting to do in our lives and to outwardly obey those things and see the impossible become reality. God, I bless your people with that. As they think about their lives, as they think about their marriages, as they think about what the future holds, I pray that faith and hope and love would spring up inside of every heart in Jesus' name, and that you would reveal yourself to each one, speak to each one, open up the hearts, renew hope, heal the wounds, do what only you can do, that we truly may see your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.